Once Upon a Time, Season 5, Episode 4 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, one of the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap, and I am joined by a man. He's a little hard to find, but I had to press star, then I, then sun, and the black goo came pouring in, and it formed the lovely image of the one and only Kurt Clark. Kurt, how you doing? Doing well. Sorry about the black goo. I know that is hard to get out of fabric. Well, you know what? Club Soda works wonders. So, episode four. Let's just talk about season five. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Kurt, but season five has been kicking a lot of butt so far. I would say this is like one of the strongest series of episodes we've seen since like season one, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't think we've had a stinker in the bunch. I've I've really been enjoying what we've been seeing here. Yeah, and so to, and to the crux of that I've found is episode four, which I know even just looking on uh, Twitter at the time, a lot of people seem to have really positive remarks for this episode, myself included. I mean, we, we talk about good episodes on the show, not so good episodes on this show. I feel like this is one of the first episodes you and I have talked about on like an episodic basis that was really a fantastic episode. Of television, I think the last episode of Once Upon a Time that I enjoyed, uh, like as probably a silver medal to this one, would be like the Corella Deville episode from last season. But that had like nothing to do with the plot and was just kind of its own little character story. This had all that great character stuff, but tied into the main mystery of what was going on. Yeah, that could have almost been a webisode, <laughs> the, Cru- <laughs> the Cruella Deville one. This was this was like level one Once Upon a Time. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree because I mean you had. Some fan. I mean, we had a use for for the charmings. We had. I mean, I loved the choice that production made to really not feature any Storybrooke. I can't remember if I can't remember back to an episode where we've only been in Storybrooke for like three minutes at the very end. But choosing to make it all focused in Camelot was such a smart move because I mean that is gonna. That's where our big mystery is, and that's where. Our, I think our the viewers' enjoyment comes from. So you really want to focus on there, and then to see Arthur's origin story only in the fourth episode. I know I sound like a broken record here, uh, but I feel like this season is just moving at a breakneck speed. Yeah, and I, I don't know. There was something easier to in being able to follow it a little bit for me in terms of even though both things were in Camelot, it still is somehow easier to follow the past versus the present uh, compared to the way that the flashbacks operate between Storybrooke and Camelot. I, I don't know. I just really, really enjoyed what was going on. Yeah, well, it does help that, you know, a lot of the flashback scenes feature people as children. So you can tell, okay, you know that you're in past Camelot when there is a an eight-year-old boy walking around saying his name is Arthur. Well, I mean, yeah, there, there's like distant past Camelot. And then there's like six months ago past Camelot. Um, yeah. And, and it... And I didn't I didn't know I thought we were going to have like three levels of of time travel here in terms of the narrative. I'm really glad that they settled on just two. Yeah, this is a little bit of flash flashbacks exception uh, here. And again, I don't think this is something we've seen on the show before. I was waiting for the Hans Zimmer music to come in to really put us in the mood. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's dive in here. And I mean, everything is so kind of tangled up in Camelot that I figured this week, let's let's just go and in. in order of the events that we see on the show. So let's start in Camelot a long, long time ago in a realm far away. I don't know. We still don't know where this world is in comparison to our other worlds. But this is our uh, our young Arthur as he's courting his uh, his childhood crush, Guinevere. And, you know, I, I feel like we're going to talk about some uh, previously laid theories here. I have, to, I have to give myself a little bit of credit for correctly guessing that Merlin did end up going to Arthur as a child, much like he did with Emma. And again, if, I'm assuming that movie usher was Merlin and telling him that what the prophecy was and that he has to do it. Yeah, although 
there's little things throughout this episode that make me wonder, you know, if, if this was the only episode we'd seen, Arthur comes off as a bit crazy because yeah. I had kind of gotten the impression that the tree was something that happened. I don't know, like in the past couple of years, maybe uh, uh, not, not that Merlin is pretty much always been a tree that talks to Arthur. <laughs> yeah. It's the equivalent of like, what if you have like a, a bad knee or your, your knee hurts you and you decide you're like, Oh, I'll go to the doctor in a little bit. But then you go like a year later and you're like, Oh yeah, my knee's like always been hurting me. And I don't know why it turns out I have arthritis. Like it feels like a very <laughs> similar path in terms of like, Oh yeah, Merlin, he's always been in that tree for like the past, you know, 30 years did you say arthritis <laughs> arthritis yes that's the condition where you are hunting after uh weaponry and blowing sand on everybody but yeah i, I mean i i really got a distinct impression that maybe merlin got turned into a tree six months to a year before the charmings and company came to camelot via cyclone um but no he's been a you get the sense he's just always been a tree and and that really <laughs> makes so ridiculous to say well he's always been a tree I, no seriously and, and that makes me question if arthur might not be touched because <laughs> really we only have his word that this guy is actually that this tree is talking to him imagine if merlin was just like a homeless guy that's like oh well you can't see me again because i'm gonna turn into a tree and you're gonna have to put this sword together to get me out i mean I, and and to that point he has some information that the tree gave him that is accurate in terms of the storyline and and what's going on uh so he, he is getting accurate information from supposedly the tree uh, so i guess we can't question him too much his 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 arthritis might not be uh, uh terminal uh did you like basically this is like the camelot version of muppet babies right we have little arthur we have little gwen we even have a little uh sir k the big bully in town yeah i i, I thought that uh <laughs> it, it, it it's a little bit uh uh bittersweet knowing that this bully is going to basically be uh you know uh what's the word i'm looking for completely annihilated by excalibur some 30 <laughs> yeah. years down the road yeah and that's that's fun little i granted they they flash forward to arthur again pulling the sword from the stone they did not unfortunately get to show sir k once again being vaporized just to have a nice little book end to his story yeah um but we also get i think a lot of insight in this in this far back flashback uh, to, you know, the condition of Camelot, how it's, it's, you know, we kind of are used to Camelot as, uh, you know, I, I guess I've, I've heard you know, different things in the past in terms of like, you know, Camelot, the kingdom versus Camelot's actually the castle and not the kingdom. But regardless, we're kind of introduced to it here as just, it's kind of like just a broken set of, well, described as the broken kingdom, just a bunch of random settlements without really any organization to it necessarily. Uh, so do I wonder, will, do you think we're going to get any more insight as to the history of Camelot and why it was a broken kingdom? Because, I mean, we have to, there had to be a king before. Uh, obviously, I think they're existing in a plane right now where a king doesn't exist, and maybe that's why they're so splintered. But I feel like there had to be a king before, sort of like, you know, the mad Targaryen. Uh, was there an equivalent of that in Camelot? Do you think that made everything break apart? Or do you think it was like, oh, the king got assassinated and so everyone just went their own separate ways? I mean, I just kind of got the impression it was just a bunch of little disparate settlements seasoning the, you know, the countryside without really any sort of organized organizational force behind them. But, 
you know, calling it the broken kingdom implies that at one time it wasn't necessarily broken and maybe it did have a king. So I'm, I'm really not sure. I, I don't know if we'll, we'll get more of the, uh, the history on there. If we, if we do, I have a feeling it's going to kind of be a springboard to something bigger and it will happen after the whole Arthur as, uh, as douche, uh, storyline gets settled. Yeah. So, we flash forward a little bit to again when Arthur pulls Excalibur out of the stone. And this is when we we start, if we connect this back to him killing Griff in the jail cell last week of Arthur manipulating everyone around him. And I will say, before we go too far, I definitely, we know, I know we compared him to Tony Vlachos last week, but I mean, he has definitely become Dan Giesling this week. I mean, he has literal mist, Kurt, that he sprays in people's <laughs> faces to get them to do what he wants. I never, I didn't think of the sands of Avalon as a mist, but I, I like that. The mists of Avalon sounds familiar too. I think that might be a series of books to be completely honest. Um, but yeah, he's like, I don't know. A lot of what he does, at least in this, in this, at this part is, um, to convince the people that he has a full sword. And I'm like, I don't necessarily know that they'll care. Um, <laughs> It's it's like how can you you know Percival says how oh, how can you take a throne with half a sword? Well, the whole thing he was the only person to ever able to get the sword out of the stone. Yeah, you know exactly. It's not like leaving like that that it's not a complete sword. That's not his fault. I think the people will still follow him as as a leader. Um, if, the, if there's one thing that this episode proves is is that that one scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail where the two peasants talk to Arthur about like why he was chosen as king and how they didn't vote for him. I think this this rings true to the entire story arc of Once Upon a Time thus far. That this man is clearly is not a good ruler and has ruled purely by pulling a sword out of a stone and then completely manipulating everyone around him into thinking that he's an all-powerful being. Because some tart in the lake told you you'd be king. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't vote for you. Was this the oppression inherent in the system? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's... it's you know, Everybody seems excited. I was like wondering what he would do. And I like the kind of the half unsheathing of the sword like he showed just enough that he had i thought that was actually very clever that's like almost you know going back to you know tony vlachos that's that's a little bit like showing kind of a a hint of a hidden immunity idol that you've crafted but not really letting people see it long enough to know that you don't have the hidden immunity idol yeah i mean i mean we have to say also the uh, reliquary is arthur's bag of tricks right i don't think we even mentioned that last episode true yeah we didn't see much we, we didn't see we didn't see it this episode uh but yeah definitely uh between the uh, the, the, the torch that can't be snuffed out. I mean, Tony definitely had that. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, though I will say, I think Sandra has a stronger forged torch that will never go out. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but let's, let's flash forward to our, I, I don't want to say present day Camelot because it's technically six weeks ago Camelot, yeah. but the Camelot storyline that we'll be spending most of our time in this episode where the bromance between Arthur and David is as strong as ever, though that's going to come crashing down over the course of the next 40 minutes. And so the, Arthur kind of confides in David like, okay, our, our new mission is to get the dagger, reforge Excalibur so I can take Merlin out of the tree and we can defeat the Dark One. Um, and so... While this is going on, we have our sort of B plot for this episode, which is that Emma's now starting to become freaked out by Dark Clippy appearing around her. And it's starting to make her go a little bananas. Yeah. And, and she seems to be whittling dream catchers uh, and hanging them all over the place as if this might stop the bad voices from coming into her head. It was like, well, that's that's one step towards crazy town. <laughs> Now I want to see her make like a six foot dream catcher. And he's like, all right, dearie, we're going to. Oh, no, I'm stuck. Oh, yeah. no, I'm stuck in your yarn and your your twine. Oh, no, Nick, you can't be the dark one anymore. You've caught me. My one weakness. 
And and now she's not just hearing like the voice. It's like she's hearing the vo- obviously Rumpelstiltskin, uh, the the dark one formerly known as Rumpelstiltskin. Uh, but she's also now hearing whispers that, and I think Rumpel tells her that they're coming from the dagger. Well, I'm also pretty sure they're coming from. Uh, if we're losing lost logic, it's all the people who had unfinished business on the on in Camelot and died there and couldn't escape to the other realm. Oh no. <laughs> Had to be a lost reference. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be post-show recaps without a lost reference, Kurt. <laughs> true, true. We got to work it in somewhere. But yeah, so it, it turns out that, uh, so, you know, Dark Clippy brings her out to that box to be like, this is where the whispers are coming from. But when she tries to touch it, surprise, surprise, Regina put a curse on it. Um, but Regina, uh, Emma tries to get rid of the voice of her head by literally trying to zap it with magic and almost kills her boyfriend in the process. Yeah. But this is kind of the nice thing is that this eventually leads to her just kind of, you know, laying out on the table. I'm hearing voices and this is what I'm seeing. And it, and it leads to some really nice moments later on in the episode. Yeah, I will say one of the other things I loved about this episode is I do. The one of the things that I do fear about this, this uh, half season is that I was afraid going into it that it would be all about Emma coming over to the dark side and being the dark one. And that certainly is the focus in Storybrooke. But I feel like here they use the perfect amount of like, okay, people love Hook and Emma and this whole her turning to the dark side storyline. Let's like pepper it in in a few scenes rather than have it become a big matter or or having everyone go through a threes company scenario where they're lying about Regina being the savior to protect her. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have any uh, Camelot Emma in the last episode, really. It was primarily, again, David's episode uh, and a little bit of Mary Margaret. Uh, so it, it, it was good to see her in a, you know, a B, have a B plot here. Uh, so we go to, um, so the heroes gather around Emma and she's seems like somewhat like catatonic almost. And David <laughs> tells Mary Margaret, basically the two of them get in an argument about, he says, well, we, we got to give my bro the dagger, man. He totally wants it. And then Mary Margaret says, well, actually Lancelot's alive. And he says that are basically just recapping what happened at the end of last episode. And they get into a, a pretty heated argument about it to the point of where they like demand everyone else leave the room while they start to, to vehemently argue uh, backing each other's men. Yeah. And, and just saying for playing the, uh, once upon a time match game again. And I also had catatonic uh, in my notes as how I would describe Emma. So we, we get that point. Yeah. Uh, She definitely seems (laughs) so two out of two people agree. Yeah. She was catatonic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Things kind of like get really, he is like, you only did this so you could feel like a hero again, like a subtext. You're not a hero anymore. (laughs) Like, whoa, you're, you're not well endowed. That's what it all comes down to. in all those marital arguments, right? Who needs the big chair? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What? Why does he need to put the sword together? Isn't his sword satisfactory enough? <laughs> exactly. Oh, boy. <laughs> so let's go back to five years before this point. And this is where we really start to see, as you talked about, Kurt, this is really the Arthur unraveling episode. And we're, and we're really starting to see like the machinations. And it's almost like he's being corrupted by the Ring of Power from Lord of the Rings, except it's more the idea of finding the ring of power uh as he arthur's like furiously scribbling in his study uh trying to just translate things and figure out where the dagger is and this is oh man this is a this is a heartbreaking scene kurt first i mean first you have arthur being a douche to his wife um and then she leaves and it turns out that it's her birthday (laughs) which is like i don't care if it's like 1988 1588 2088 you do not do that to your wife on her birthday yeah he's 
he's going a little beautiful mind here in terms of uh, uh, how focused he is on solving this. I mean, again, you know, comparing Arthur to a, a survivor player, he's definitely well-rounded. I mean, he's handy with the sword, so he's got the physical aspect down. He seems to know his way around the books in the library. Like he's 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 got the brains, although he does kind of solve things incorrectly. But he's 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 pretty much a Renaissance man, almost, almost literally. Um, uh, except for the fact that he yeah, does not pay attention to his wife. And I, I thought maybe he hadn't actually forgotten her when those middle mist flowers get sprinkled all over uh, the dancers. I was like, oh, you know, he actually kept his promise on that, that, you know, when he was young, he'd promised that every birthday she'd have have middle mist flowers all over the kingdom. And it turns out that it wasn't uh, it wasn't Arthur. <laughs> Yeah, I, so Middle Miss was the name of the flower. I, I missed that, but that seemed to be that was like one of the recurring motifs throughout the episode as well. It seemed to be like a symbol of love. Yeah, it was it was Middle Mist, and again, that, I thank the uh, the closed captioning for that. <laughs> Damn it! I really need to get this closed captioning on. I probably thought if it was called like I don't know Metal Mark or something <laughs> instead, if I if I'd really listened to it, but. Yeah, as, as you said, um, well, first, Arthur is poring over this one scroll in particular that says, you know, I've translated everything except there's this picture of a star and an eye and a sun, and I don't know what it means. And I, I do have to kind of discredit the people the people who made this dark one scroll because if you really want to like surreptitiously hide the dagger, don't put the three giant, <laughs> but don't put the password to the safe in big letters at the top of your scroll. It's like the sticky note on my work computer that it has my yeah. password written on it in big letters. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, your password, or even to, to a better extent, it would be if it was the sticky note on your computer that said, oh, my bank PIN number. Exactly. It's labeled as such. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, bad on you, Dark One scroll writers, whoever you may be, elders or sorcerers or what have you. But yeah, so as you said, she goes out to the party and Lancelot tries to cheer her up and Arthur, they say that Arthur gave her a present of the showering uh, middle miss, but it turns out that Lancelot did so. So it seems like even like I thought that it was, you know, it, we could have painted it in a way with this whole Lancelot Guinevere scenario that like Lancelot was protecting her and trying to save her when it turns out that he was kind of swooping in on her even when she was like somewhat happily married. Yeah. And, and that kind of raises the question then of, was this happening because he cared for her? Well, yeah, obviously he cared for her, but how much of it was I'm doing this so she doesn't feel hurt that Arthur is ignoring her versus I kind of want her to know it was me. Yeah. Well, I think Lancelot just, I don't know. I feel like he has a fear of being friend zoned and I feel like this is something to avoid getting friend zoned. <laughs> um, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, I I mean, it, good on him. And it, it turns out well in that one moment. And apparently it's like love right after that. But it's a, a little crafty on Lancelot's part. Again, I don't know. I guess, you know, he is in the right in terms of the him versus Arthur debate. But I don't know. I'm still not completely like in on Lancelot thus far, just because the stuff with Guinevere does still skeeve me out a little bit. Yeah, and, and plus, like, yes, Arthur is kind of a negligent husband, and uh, and you know, and he doesn't really necessarily um, solve things in the the best way later on, as we'll see. But Lancelot just doesn't really emote. I mean, I don't really like get much from him in terms of uh, why he it, why she is falling for him. Other than the well, fact that he like is maybe it's because actions speak louder than words and the middle miss flowers just won her over. Well, Kurt, they're, 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 the castle hasn't happened yet. There is no moat. 
Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so flashing back to quote-unquote present-day Camelot, David just decides to, and again, this is, we'll find out later that this was all part of a plan, but it seems like at the time that David is really fed up with his wife and he decides to come clean and join Arthur's side. And so over the commercial break, he apparently <laughs> tells Arthur everything about Emma and then also spills the beans that Lancelot is back as well. Uh, which, again, kind of a weird thing to put over the course of a commercial break considering that the show does have a propensity to like repeat information in scenes. But again, it's all part of it. When it was all part of a big master plan, I guess it makes sense. Yeah, and, and I actually noted that it was all explained over a commercial break as well. <laughs> I found I also was like, thank you, sponsors, because I didn't need to sit through and hear the recap of everything again. So yeah, I, I, exactly. I, uh, Especially it, when in the previously on, we saw like the Regina says she's the savior. Like we we've been watching that basically the past yeah. month of these people lying to Arthur. We don't need to have David admit it and have <laughs> and watch, you know, Arthur's reactions as he says so. Yeah, we've been privy to the lie the whole time. We don't need to hear David's explanation of it. So I was actually kind of tickled a little bit when he, we come back back from the commercial break. And it's like, and that's, you know, what happened. Um, <laughs> and that's the story. Yeah. And except for the Lancelot, Lancelot part, we got to watch the, that news being broken to, <laughs> to Arthur. I think that's the one thing we'd actually want to hear his, his react, see his reaction to. And it's, and it's interesting because... I- Compare that to, I think it was last episode where like David says he knows Lancelot and it seems like Arthur's almost excited. I remember to say like, oh yeah, how's he doing? Uh, And it makes me wonder with this whole history going on, like was he trying to fake that and manipulate David even more to make him think that they're friends instead of truly expressing their relationship, which is they are quite enemies. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, other than, okay, Arthur's a bit obsessive. (laughs) Like he just wants to complete Excalibur. That's really, which makes me also wonder if there's some sort of enchantment on Excalibur that forces its bearer to uh, want to make it complete. So maybe you know, Excalibur is the bad guy here. But yeah. you know, really, like Arthur hasn't done a whole lot of evil in terms of what the uh, you know. Yeah, it, it it seems like it's a pretty benign end, and so like you know, getting like the the things he does along the way. I'm I'm still not terribly bothered by it, except for one, except for like one thing that I'm sure we'll get to. <laughs> it's interesting though. You brought up a good point about like the corruption happening and whether it comes from Excalibur. Maybe a theory we can come up with is that since the dagger was cut from Excalibur, Excalibur also somewhat has the dagger's properties of like if a person is susceptible in some sort of way, the dagger or the Excalibur will accentuate that property and, and lead them to kind of become insane. You know, which is what Emma's been fighting this whole time is basically the power of the dagger and the power to become the dark one. Uh, and I feel like Excalibur is just, I feel like Arthur always has these sort of paranoid qualities and sort of megalomaniacal tendencies and manipulating, et cetera, et cetera. He just hasn't had the opportunity to use it. But when he had Excalibur, that sort of has pulled him deeper and deeper into a hole where now those qualities become much brighter in his spectrum. I, you know, I think that could, that could very well be. I, I like the, the the idea and the theory that you know there's a lot of power in the Dark One's dagger, and you know even though you know Percival uh, had said that it's the dagger is half of the sword, that half the sword is missing. I think you know maybe it's like a third or a quarter of the sword's missing. Yeah. Uh, so, but which which makes you think that there's you know Excalibur is a magic sword. I mean, it's not just that glowing gem that disintegrates people, but there is magic in it, and so you can't help but think that maybe. You know, if there's a sentience to it, that it wants to be complete and it is potentially driving Arthur to do this. So, you know, cut the tie between Arthur and Excalibur and you've got probably a perfectly likable chap. 
So let's flash back here and let's talk about let's talk about the reemergence of the only magical object to be based off a season of the Real World Road Rules Challenge, the <laughs> magical gauntlet, which. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Kurt, but we saw this gauntlet before at the end of season 4A. That was the finale where, in the past, uh, Rumpelstiltskin, like, the the Queens of Darkness held Belle hostage, and so he traded Merlin's gauntlet to them for Belle. And then in the present, Storybrooke, that was what basically saved Hook's life, where Belle had found the gauntlet, and it guided her, I think, to the dagger, and that's when she found out that Rumpel was tricking her the entire time. So it was cool to see like the origin story of the gauntlet as well. Good memory. I, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I, I only it was one of those things that like stuck out. I think it was because I, if I remember back during our season four a finale podcast, I was extremely confused about how Belle used the gauntlet and where it took her. So maybe it just stuck in my craw because I was, it's it's an ever an enigma to me. But yeah, so right now Guinevere has her hands on it. I guess it was in the reliquary, and Arthur got his hands on it, or it's it's Merlin. So it's obviously you know around. Maybe yeah. it <laughs> fell out of the tree. Who knows? Uh, but Guinevere's trying to sneak out only to get caught by Lancelot, but Lancelot decides he's going to go with her. And I do have to point out, I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast, but I saw when I was reading the uh, recap on Entertainment Weekly, the writer made a good point that like, I love the outfits that people that the women get to wear in once upon a time in this past world whenever they're like going into the forest because they change out of dresses most of the time into this like like they wear like fur color, like fur lined vests and like long pants and boots. And I, I love that. Like every single time someone goes into the woods in, uh, in Mist Haven, they always change it to this exact same outfit. It's forest garb. Yeah, it's, it's what's in, it's what's in this, this year in, in Mist Haven and the, the yeah, so we get, so Lancelot and Guinevere travel to this big, uh, is it called a dais or a, it's a, a giant circular stone that has a bunch of symbols on it. And three of the symbols that have to be in there are indeed star, eye, and sun. Yeah, I just look at it as the vault door. Yeah, it basically is. Uh, she's just punching in the code. And <laughs> how many, how many good wrong? thing they did it correctly because <laughs> yeah. they because I don't know what, what I don't know what color goo would have sprung out if they got something wrong. Yeah. Uh, how many incorrect but, tries does she get before it erases itself? Yeah, exactly. It, it re, it, then you have to call the security company and they yeah. have to come down and, and reset it for you. It's a whole hassle. Find my but, vault. <laughs> but as we talked about before, the uh, the combo unleashes the ever familiar black goo, which uh, seeps down and forms this spiral staircase. Yeah, I, I really thought at this point that it, I don't know, the, the vault door looked a lot like a waffle iron to me in terms of like, the, I thought we were getting some really evil, you know, waffles. Uh, but Will that will that make you poop green as well? <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> <laughs> or, or or black. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, it it looks a lot like when they, when they descend the stairs into the actual vault. It looks like kind of a cross. But at one point, I think we're going into uh, Emma's basement. Uh, it looks a lot kind of like that, but it also looks like the dwarven mines a bit. So I, I I'm pretty sure that they've probably used this set before. <laughs> Yeah, all, all caves look the same in Once Upon a Time. Yeah. And we also see, we saw the return of the Black Goo, and we also see the return of the swirling <laughs> darkness that previously had tried to encapsulate Regina, and then Emma took it on, and I guess the personification of becoming the Dark One. Though again, 
Sorry, Kurt, I'm going to have to make the loss. I say, you know you want to call it the smoke monster. Go ahead and call it the smoke monster. I mean, it kind of is. All. I will admit that I think after the smoke monster became personified at the end of Lost's run, it sort of lost its appeal for me in terms of like calling it a smoke monster. Now it's just more like the man in black, this sort of enigmatic concept. But I did find it weird that it was driven away by fire, considering that like... I can't remember in the season four B finale, but didn't they like try a bunch of things and nothing worked to get that darkness away? Yeah, I'm and I wasn't quite sure what she did. So it was a combination of the torch and is it like true love? Like, like, (laughs) as that's stretching it a bit. I don't don't know about that. But but that's all. That's all that that happens is she threw She thrust the torch into it and was in love with him. And those are really the only two conditions I could see. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, we don't know what their what this darkness logic is, but yeah. I mean, it saves Lance a lot. Uh, though it would have been interesting to have seen him be the dark one. We are start, we already saw him being manipulated by Korob when we first saw him in season yeah. two. So it'd be funny if if he like had always been possessed by evil. But Guinevere is so touched that they kiss, and it becomes a little awkward afterwards. <laughs> She's like, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're like, oh yeah, it won't happen again. Never. Yeah, don't you, worry. You raise something it's not like we're in a dark, secluded place or anything. Yeah, I mean, you do read something interesting. Like after that, like the moment the the smoke went away, I, w- I was wondering: uh, is is he okay? Is he still Lancelot? Is he you know is is he evil now? So I, but this this was in the in the past, and so I think we you know we can maybe safely assume that it didn't have any lasting effects. But I don't know. Yeah. So we after the uh, after some Lancelot uh, action, we we hear some Lancelot action here back in the present day where Guinevere comes in and she says like you know she puts on a performance saying she knows where Lancelot is she wants to make him pay for what he did and it seems like we're really getting this storyline set up of like okay it's Arthur David and Guinevere versus Lancelot and Mary Margaret and we see Mary Margaret go back to Granny's, which I guess serves as like the sort of safe house or halfway home of this episode where Lancelot's kind of hiding. Uh, again, still decked out in his full night garb. Uh, not that conspicuous. And she says, oh, I have the dagger. We are going to go hide this and protect our daughter from getting killed. Yeah, I, I first thought maybe she was coming back to get the help of the the dwarves who we haven't seen in a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, that's uh, Lance... Lance is going to, you know, help her, you know, take this to wherever she needs to take it. We don't really know yet, but we find out quickly. And isn't it, it's interesting that this is, I think, the first time since the first episode that we acknowledge that Granny's was there. And I'm I'm surprised they didn't use it for more things or that, like, they were able to, like, get easily from one place to another. Because you would think that the place, Camelot's so heavily guarded that they would, like, have strict border patrol policies to make sure that, you know, vagrants don't get in. Eh, it's a broken kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It is a broken kingdom. It's ruled uh, very shoddily. So who knows? But, you know, we talked about some awkward love before. Let's let's keep going on the awkward love train, Kurt. Let's talk a little bit about Henry in the stables with Hook and Emma. Do we have to? Uh, OK, well, Henry and Violet. OK, the whole Henry Violet thing. We've, we we you know what? As, as much as I could roll my eyes and say, gosh, did we really need to have this? they've been very good about not hitting us over the head with this thing. And yeah. it, and it was, and it was pretty light touch of it this time too. Um, but hook, you know, hook was way too happy and into the fact that, you know, Henry was into a girl. I also had a very lowest common denominator moment where like 
Henry's like here, you know, it's the scene where you hear like Henry has a voiceover like here, you guys can hide here. And all it was was the camera was on a horse. And for a split second, I thought, <laughs> oh, yeah, they're just going to they're going to hide. They're going to hide, hide in that horse. That's what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. But it's a stable where apparently Violet and her family live. And I guess Violet's cool with this. But I do agree with you that like we've only gotten Violet and Henry in two episodes and it's kind of been blissfully short. We've been cut out on maybe the the music producers spent all their money on using that 80s song a couple weeks ago that they couldn't afford Henry and Violet listening to take on me while Hook and Emma rode on horseback. But he is like a very quick, like in and out, like, okay, here's my girlfriend. See you later. We're going hunting. Well, yeah. And it was convenient that, you know, he, uh, that that he didn't want Violet to know that Emma and Hook were in the stable. So it was a nice excuse to get them out of there as well. Yeah, very true. And so Emma takes this opportunity, uh, probably because she's surrounded by manure and just wants to get out of the place where she finally admits <laughs> to Hook, okay, I've been seeing Rumpelstiltskin. He's been bothering me. I keep, keep clicking the X, but he keeps popping back up again every time I, I open up a new document. I need help. And so Hook has this idea and i guess this idea involves like getting her heart racing is that right that if her heart is racing she won't see him anymore yeah the fact that he he used to have like you know it sounded like like hook used to have like the demon speaking to him and the way that he would get it out of his head was to stand on the prow of his ship and to just like be exhilarated by the ocean and the, the ship launched the jolly roger launching over the waves so he like you know thinks well maybe horseback riding and kind of that same feeling and same experience can do the same thing for Emma. I, I, as much as I love this episode, I don't, I don't know about this one. I mean, you're talking about the even the most evil parts of your soul personifying themselves and trying to get you to commit malevolent activities. This isn't like anticipating, uh, a, you know, anticipating a, a big party that you're going to and just putting your mind off by watching, you know, binge watching Narcos on Netflix. Like there's, there, you can't really distract yourself from the evil that exists in your life. Yeah, I, I just, I just don't know that much about what Hook's situation was. Like we never really kind of saw that and the, uh, that part of his life. So, you know, it, 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 I can say, I can kind of see both sides of it in terms of, you just need to be, you're thinking about it too much. You just need to be distracted and because it's just eating up all everything that you're focusing on. So let's just distract you with something else. And I can see that part of it working, but we have seen that this isn't just like an internal voice, like an internal monologue that she needs to tame. Like this is a, this is an external entity that has given her information about will-o'-wisps and where things are located that she just has no means of knowing about. So yeah, um, I mean, there's not so many like modern psychology techniques that you can use that really can't deal the yeah. situation with effectively. But you know what? It worked, Mike Bloom. I for now. I don't know. I'm <laughs> for now. We yeah. see her become Dark Swan in the present day. So yeah. something clearly something went wrong. And I will say also we we usually talk about the like R rate, the basic cable. Once upon a time, you know, in basic cable, once upon a time, there would definitely be a different way that Hook would get Emma's heart racing. Oh yeah, um, especially maybe- especially in that stable. Yeah. Uh, you talk about symbology. This is a horse. Um, and you know, but maybe that's the solution. Maybe she just has to be riding a horse forever and ever and ever from now on. Is that like when 
people, you know, if, if people decide to abstain, is that like they get a similar thrill from riding a horse? Is that the ideal solution they should pursue? I'm going to abstain from commenting, Mike Bloom. <laughs> Are you going to ride a horse on that comment? <laughs> no, no comment. So <laughs> let's go back to our gauntlet action going on. And it's interesting. So Lancelot and Guinevere are led to this door. And of course, in Once Upon a Time, if it's a door, it's going to lead somewhere completely new. And this leads to the middle of the jungle. And I don't know about you, Kurt, uh-huh. but my mind immediately <laughs> went back to Neverland for oh, a God. second. My notes that I'm reading verbatim, oh God, not Neverland. <laughs> <laughs> and so, would you, I mean, would this be would the episode diminish in your eyes if the rest of the episode was Lancelot and, uh, and Guinevere get kidnapped by the lost boys? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and, and you know what, from what little we saw of it, this could very well be Neverland, especially given the reference to, uh, the, the, the dream vision that, that Mary Margaret had. Um, mm-hmm. cause that took place in Neverland, right? I'm pretty sure it did. Yeah. I was trying to remember where that came from, but I think it was season three. So even even if this is just a small little, you know, hedged off corner of Neverland, the fact that we were only there for like a total of five minutes, if that, I, I was fine, even if it was Neverland. <laughs> it's interesting because if, you know, I, I can't remember if the Dark One Dagger rules is like, you know, you hide it where like you have the most valuable memory or something. It's interesting because, I mean, that's Neverland's the last place where Rumpelstiltskin saw his father before his father became Peter Pan. So I feel like that place has a lot of significance to him at that moment. Yeah, that, that's the thing. There, there are ties, obviously, between Dark Ones and Neverland. So I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it actually was. So they find the dagger, which is behind this very... Uh, artistic, almost like a crate and barrel esque cage. It was something uh, which that it, doesn't look very effective, but it turns out to be fine because there's, of course, there's a magical yeah. barrier around it. I, I think some amazing race teams just got done finished uh, painting and staining it. Actually, except they got they <laughs> have to polish it now, right? If it's finally dry after 500 years. There you go. <laughs> so Rumpel Stillskin does appear, and he. You know, of course, in his true Rumpel fashion, he immediately correctly identifies who they are. He knows what the situation is, and he makes a deal. The deal is basically, okay, you want to reforge the sword. I know it's broken. That's fine. You give me the gauntlet. In exchange, I'll give you this. These are the sands from the mystical Isle of Avalon, which can fix anything. Yeah, okay. If there's one thing I was not a fan of in this episode, it was the sands of Avalon. (laughs) Yeah, it's I, well. Actually, I, I've uh, vacationed to Avalon several times with my family when I was a kid, so it was kind of weird <laughs> to see this uh, place pop up as one of the mystical isles. Yeah, and I think th- I think that it was supposedly where again the the Arthurian experts out on the internet are going to correct me on this, but I believe that Avalon was where Arthur went to eventually uh, kind of fade away and die. Um, oh, okay. Um, well, that's think, much better than the Jersey Shore Avalon that I went to. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is. Yeah. This is. I believe was supposed to be a mythical island off the coast of of, of Great Britain. I, I and I don't think it is an actual island. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. I, I'm hoping he didn't go to all Jersey Shore. No, I think that sand is very tainted. If he got it from the Jersey Shore. <laughs> yeah. Magical in quotation marks. It's euphemism. Yeah. Exactly. So Guinevere is is kind of torn here about you know whether she should take the sand or not. And Lancelot says, don't trust him. But of course, as you always do with Rumpelstiltskin, someone always trusts him and they always, you know, magic always comes with a price. And so 
the prize ends up being, you know, her mental freedom, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But she she gets the sand and Rumpelstiltskin, before disappearing, warns her that the most powerful magic comes not from love, but from a broken heart. And we are going to see that come to, from fruition very soon. <laughs> I, I, I was surprised that she took him up on his offer. I'm just going to say it, but okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I think she's desperate at this point, even though she has a little bit of a uh, honey on the side. I think she is still very worried about Arthur's obsession. And she feels like I think she does still have some attachment to Arthur. And so she feels like anything that could help him get rid of this obsession. So let me just do anything I can to reforge Excalibur. And again, this is a woman who has probably grown up in this small village her entire life. She doesn't really she's not really wary of like, oh, this this man comes to me with this deal that's too good to be true. I have to take it. Yeah, and and I was trying to figure out here at this point, and and I reassessed this evaluation at several points in the episode. What is the magic of the sand? What does it do exactly? And yeah. it sounds like it's a you know a powerful illusion slash glamoring spell uh, that will make any situation that is not ideal ideal from the from the point of view of the person who is using the sand. Uh, so, yeah. so I guess the idea here was that she would, um, and you could say whether she's like fixing Excalibur or fixing her marriage, she's going to use it on Excalibur to, I'm guessing, make it appear whole to Arthur so he'll stop obsessing. Yeah, it's, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, it's, yeah, I, I don't really understand it because, because it changes from like, when with Arthur and Guinevere, you can understand, okay, they're, they're mending the broken relationship. But when he does it to Charming and Snow later on, like their, their friendship wasn't, I guess David and Arthur's friendship was broken. So he was mending that, but there's, those are very, very loose rules. Yes. It's, it's very, very loose sand. <laughs> yes. It's hypno sand basically. Yeah. So in the Lancelot and Snow go back to the dais, or at least Lancelot takes Snow to the dais now. And so it's officially called like the vault of the dark one. And we, we've seen that. I believe Emma was in, I don't know if Emma was in or not. Uh, if Elsa was in the vault of the dark one or just Rumpelstiltskin's vault. I don't know if those are two different things, but they go to where the dagger previously was. And as you said before, snow has this vision of this is where Emma pulled out her heart, which I guess was maybe supposed to be a hint that it was Neverland. Um, but Lancelot says, okay, great. Give me the dagger. And of course, snow says, uh, not, I'm not so sure anymore. Yeah, uh, it, it's this this I, I was stuck for a while on the whole flashback thing for uh, to, to be completely honest. This is where young Emma, you know, took took my heart. Um, and I think I was just like hung up on the, the whole. Oh, gosh. So we actually are in Neverland. Um, but yeah, it, the whole when Lancelot's saying, you know, let me put the dagger back in the in the, uh, you know, pottery barn structure. Uh what, do you what you don't trust me let me do this i was i was getting kind of creepy vibes from lance at that point yeah i again as i said before i don't think he was proving himself to be a like valiant hero this episode i mean he did a lot of heroic things but he was coming across in, again sort of this like skeevy way that made him hard to be trusted yeah yeah he like i said he's he, for me he's not emoting in the uh best manner to accomplish his goals <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. He needs he needs to work on his on his people skills if yes. he wants to get a couple. He's again fantastic. I mean, he's probably not the all around great player that Arthur is. He's again great with the sword, but he needs <laughs> he's right about things. He just needs a better way of communicating that. Right. And then this is where, of course, Arthur comes in, and it's like 
hand over the dagger or you'll never see your husband again. And I was confused here. Like I'd wondered, did I miss was it, was it, did this happen during a commercial break too, where Arthur misdirected David apparently to go somewhere else? And did did I miss that? No, it's just that the last time we saw Arthur and David was that Guinevere came in and she's like, okay, I want to get, I want to get Lance a lot. He, you know, for what he did to me. And then they say like, okay, let's, all right, David, you brought the dagger. Let's go, you know, hunt after it. And then David says, oh no, the dagger is missing. And that's the last time we see them. And from Arthur, what Arthur talks about in this scene, it seems like he purposely led David the wrong way, which seems like he had the intention to like kill her all along. He just didn't want David there to to be there to stop it. Yeah. Okay, good. I was, I was, I was making, I, I, I didn't think I fell asleep during the episode. I didn't think I pulled a uh, Aurora. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm, I am no sleeping beauty, but I did. Uh, I was awake during this. <laughs> uh, don't, don't sell yourself short, Kurt. Thanks. Mike. You're very look, good looking man. Uh, let's, let's go to this sort of, I don't know. Would you call this scene with Arthur and Guinevere, like the climax of the episode? <laughs> you said climax. Uh, <laughs> Is it, was it the horse ride, horse ride of the episode? <laughs> um, I would say, yeah, climax or tipping point or whatever reference you want to use. Uh, I, I think so. This is where we, I think, I mean, up to this point, you're still sort of wondering, you know, where does modern day Guinevere, why does she have like such a hatred for Lancelot? Because like things seem to be like they've kind of amicably agreed to part ways. Um, but yeah, this is, this is, this is where I was kind of wondering what was going to, what was going to happen. And, and we yeah. we don't get to see what she's ultimately going to do with Excalibur because you know you know we well first of all we we see Arthur spying on her and Lancelot. Yeah. And so we'll we'll kind of walk through this scene here. So yeah, it starts yeah. where again after Guinevere and Lancelot promised, okay, that kiss will never happen again. What are they doing in the middle of the forest making out and Arthur sees him and he totally plays the uh spurn lover here in this scene where Guinevere walks in and she's like, "What were you doing?" Where were you? She's like, oh, I was out, you know, just hanging out with friends. Uh, and he is, he's pretty, playing pretty insane here. And he's, so he like grabs her bag and searches through it and finds the sand. Um, and so it really just comes down to, and they, they make the, this ultimatum very clear. You have, it's either the kingdom. She, she tells him, okay, you either have to choose me in the kingdom or the dagger. Yeah. And, and I thought, you know, to her, to her, uh, to her credit, she com- she pretty much comes completely clean. Oh, yeah. Like, like you know, I well, I saw you with Lancelot. It's like, yeah, he was saying goodbye. Like, did they actually kiss or did they just kind of like hug? I I thought I saw them kiss. Okay, I can I can remember. And um, but even even then, uh, she she pretty much she she gives up on her plan to fool him with the sand and comes completely clean with him, or at least ninety percent clean with him, and says that you know. I was going to fool you with this and then we couldn't find, I went to find the dagger and we, you know, we couldn't get it. And you know, she even says that she found it. You went to the wrong place, but yeah. yeah, gives him that ultimate ultimatum. And he apparently chooses to, you know, uh, the sword over the kingdom and her. Well, I know I actually, it's the opposite, right? Cause he uses the sand to mend his relationship with her and the kingdom. He could have immediately used the sand to reforge the sword and get Excalibur back, but he chooses mm. to, go to i wouldn't say mend his relationship as much as forcibly mind control his wife and make his kingdom a basically a painted set that has shabby boards holding up uh, holding up the back of it but it does seem like he actually does end up choosing the kingdom and his wife 
but again, in a true other fashion, it's like the good intentions, but not done in the best way at all. I, I disagree because the, the, the sand would have made the sword seem full. It wouldn't have fixed the sword. He, he still is. I, that my impression is that it would have basically been an illusion and he would have been fooled and it wouldn't have been real. And so he's, he basically said, you know what? I don't want you to leave. You have to stay here. I'm not going to actually put time and investment into you, but I'm not going to basically, he's like, I, he's denying the choice. He's saying that, no, I actually don't have to choose between this because I'm not going to let you leave because I'm going to use this sand to, you know, fix this illusion that our marriage is, uh, to fix the fact that our marriage is broken. And now it's illusory illusorily fixed, but he's now like, you know, continuing to focus on the sword and to fix the sword and to mend the sword. And so he actually chose, in my mind, he chose the sword over, uh, you know, love in the kingdom. I mean, he does say it's, I mean, it's, it's sort of a representation of both of our points of view when he says, I think, I want to save my marriage, but I also want to stick to my quest. So he's really trying to have his yeah. cake and eat it too. But then the cake ends up just falling on the floor. Yeah. And, 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 and in true Monty Python fashion, it's only a model. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It, really it turns is. out that, you know, we, we see this, this impoverished village of Camelot the entire time. And we say, okay, when is it going to become this bustling, you know, castle town? And it turns out it was just because Arthur had spread some sand. And again, I guess it was another version of him again pulling the sword from the stone in that he could say he built this city with his own hands, <laughs> which is him utilizing, <laughs> you know, Deus Ex Machina magical equipment to basically boost the, the, the town's economy automatically. He built this city. <laughs> <laughs> he built this city on lies and rolls. And sands. Uh, there's sand no in there rolls, somewhere. Because nobody has, everyone's hungry. Yeah. Uh, but. I mean, I guess if this was sand from from the Jersey Shore and Avalon, I think the uh, people in Camelot would have been transformed, weren't they? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Imagine some if way. The, our heroes landed in Camelot and were greeted by a bunch of Snookies in shining armor. Oh boy, isn't that a little bit redundant? Like, is Snooky 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 would be a princess, wouldn't she? Well, I, I thought you meant the redundant <laughs> in terms of like Snooky and shining. I feel like one, they're uh, one and the same, right? Exactly. But don't look directly into the Snooky. <laughs> so, I mean, Kurt, I'll give you some credit here. I mean, you were definitely correct as well. And when we first saw Guinevere, you said something's up with her. But I think you initially thought that it was like she was maybe the person running things behind the scenes. But it turns out, no, what was up with her is that she's basically been hypnotized the past five years. Yeah, she's in a lie of a marriage. L- literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, interesting. I mean, did this... I'll say overall, since we're kind of almost done with the Arthur stuff here, has this changed your attitude about him at all? Do you view him in a different light, even after what we saw him do at the end of the last episode? Again, this, I said the, the one where I said there's there's like one of his actions, I think, was going way too far. And that was, you know, casting the sand at Guinevere to uh, so that he could so that she wouldn't leave. Um Again, that, that's kind of like entrapping somebody in a loveless marriage and, and, and really not, uh, uh, you know, something that a, a good person would do. Um, but again, I think in terms of like, if the villain succeeds, everything will be ruined for everybody uh, and darkness will reign forever. Doesn't really seem to necessarily be the outcome for if Arthur succeeds. Uh, we don't really know. But at this point, all we really know is that, you know, his plan uh, is to destroy Emma. He would be happy to destroy Emma. And apparently there's also some uh, uh, some Merlin revenge he has, too, in mind. Um, but uh, 
but in terms of like all of the Storybrooke is going to be destroyed, all, all lives will be lost. Like his goal is to reforge the sword and uh, destroy the Dark One. Um, not necessarily uh, bad things. Um, the but at the, at the same time you're, that you're talking about one of our favorite characters, and so we can't let it happen. Yeah, and I will say I think this episode at least brought to light. I, I think we talked a lot about how and we've compared him uh, arthur's ways to like oh, some of the greatest reality tv characters there are but that being said i don't think he measures up to them in terms of like manipulation whatsoever and part of me still thinks that arthur is still has the mentality of that like 10 year old boy that we saw in the very first scene this episode where he's like i want to be king and i'm going to do anything to do it even though i have no idea what i'm doing where like he's trying a lot of things and he's able to do manipulate some people, but at the same time, I mean, he makes this blunder with the sand that you just brought up that like shows, okay, he is an extremely rash person. He may have friends on his side, as we'll see at the end of this episode when everyone comes in to free him at Granny's, but he really, I don't think he really knows how to utilize it in a way that he's always coming out on top. I think you need to go back and listen to what you just said after we get done and this podcast gets posted, and you just talked about Tony Vlachos. <laughs> Like literally That's, everything you said, I switched my mind, my, my mental track at what, like, a, you know, uh, several seconds in is like, yeah, you could, he could be talking about Tony. He could be talking about Tony. He, he's, he's made some great moves. He could manipulate some people, but he makes some mistakes. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you try to compare him to the other manipulators we've seen, most of the other manipulators we've seen have had magic on their side. And that's one thing that he's had to overcome. And I think in terms of not really having uh, a magical resource, he's been done a pretty good job of manipulating. That's true. So we, we go back to where our action left off on the in this remote, uh, unnamed jungle where Snow gives Arthur the dagger to, to spare Lancelot. Now he sort of monologues about his evil plan. And in, in these moments, Kurt, was when I realized, okay, yep, fake dagger. They have they have a fake dagger and they're gonna they're gonna use the hell out of it. Yeah, and and it's also here that we we hear that um, uh, okay he wants to snuff the snuff out the dark one. Okay, not necessarily a bad goal, but you know what, buddy, she she's new and we're trying to save her, so really we're not all on board with that. But she wants to to control the dark one so that Emma will free Merlin, and then he wants to run Merlin through with Excalibur. Yeah, I I guess I I think it's basically like. I'm going to free Merlin. I, I, he didn't, I don't think he mentioned what he was going to do with to Merlin. I'm assuming Merlin would be opposed to whatever he wants to do, but apparently he's going to say, now that I have the most powerful magical weapon in the world, I'm going to become all powerful. And so I think whether that Merlin works for and against him, it doesn't matter because he is wielding, you know, unspeakable then, power then, uh, without an itty bitty living space. Then, then, then maybe I, then maybe I misheard that because I thought he said he basically he was going to free Merlin and then immediately kill him. That, no, that's, that's, I, I think okay. from, I, what I, from what I remember, it was free Merlin and then snuff out the darkness, which I thought alluded to him oh. killing Emma. I, I, I saw those as steps one and three, and I thought there was a second step in there. Um, but yeah, OK, I, I, maybe I'll have to go back and listen to that. But yeah, if anybody, you know, if, if anybody else out there heard that, please let me know on Twitter so that I, I'm not hearing voices and I don't need to go ride on a horse somewhere. Oh, and P.S., uh, super shout out to our listeners who a lot of you guys uh, cr- uh, were able to point out to Kurt and I that I was actually correct on my wild guess last week at the end of the episode that Emma had Hook Sword, uh, which had touched Rumpelstiltskin's neck at some point in season two before the two of them like parted ways and he chopped off his hand. Yep. So it does turn out, yes, that sword was completely significant. Still don't know why it turned to black dust, but it was a very significant sword and that it did touch Rumpelstiltskin before he became the, the dark one. Well done. Well done, Mike Bloom. 
<laughs> Thank you. And, I I'm one for like seventy <laughs> on my random guesses so far. So the thing uh, the the thing here though is like when he the the Arthur tries to summon Emma with the dagger, I was like. Nope, you're Neverland. She's in another realm. You're gonna have to step back through the door to do it. <laughs> and and so he got all confused about why it wasn't working. And here, I actually thought they gave him the real dagger, and it just wasn't working because they were in another world. <laughs> yeah, I I mean that that could have worked as well. And that was actually the first split second thought I had. But then I'm like, oh no, it's a fake because I mean this is we've used the fake dagger so many times beforehand. I can't I can't even count how many times we've used it in season four. Uh, and it turns out, yeah. So David and Snow were in on this plan the entire time. Uh, and David, you know, even though Arthur led him astray, David doubled back and, and tracked him down. And now Arthur is uh, held up and it seems like all is well and good. It, so it's the perfect time to go to some exhilarating horseback riding. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> introduce yourself to the horse. It has to trust you. Yes. And the horse goes crazy and <laughs> Clippy comes out and says, well, that's because you're the dark one and the animals are always the first to know. <laughs> Make sure you get consent from the horse before you ride it. Yeah, but I guess consent is given, and she they they get on the horse. They they do, um, yeah. and and yeah, and you know at first Rumple was like "told you so," and then Hook's like "told you so." I mean, and like you know she she ignores Rumple. She gets on the horse. The horse calms down. Um, I, I like the whole you know, Hook's like "I'll never stop. I'll never stop." You know, you know, fighting for us. That was that that was nice. That was nice. Yeah, I, I will say like. Uh, Again, a little bit goes a long way with these Hook and Emma stuff, and I I, I love the that this is coming up, and it's the scene where they're in that that the uh, the field of those those flowers, and he says that to her, and then again, let's compare that to uh, six weeks from now, where Hook tells Emma, "I loved you," and then just and then she disappears. So it's it's going to be interesting to see. We still have you know seven plus episodes to go in this story arc, so it'll be interesting to see when things go south. Yes, um, it. I think I think we're, we're we're getting there. I mean, we 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 we're based on where we close out this episode. I think you know, there's the potential for some power shifts to happen. So we're back in Granny's, and Arthur, I guess, is like, I, we don't see until later, but it seems like he's like been shackled. Yeah, uh, I don't know how or where. Maybe they fashioned t- together with leaves, but he seems to be like under arrest, and they're trying to figure out what to do. Um, and they notice that Arthur's being very quiet and that's because all the knights have surrounded grannies and the heroes quickly realize that Arthur has literally everybody, an entire kingdom except them on his side. Pretty much. You're, you're messing. You've got like, you know, four or five people messing against the entire kingdom from the inside. This is not going to be easy to pull off. Yeah. They, I wonder if those, um, if those metal shackles, maybe granny just had those in the back. Oh God. I don't even want to know what she's been using those for. Well, you know, her own horse rides. Well, you know, when, you know, back in the day when, when red was wolfing out, she'd have to like, make sure that she didn't like break free and kill everybody. That's what I'm sure. Uh, That's all right. You're true. I I definitely, um, I don't know where you were thinking out there. Yeah. Where were you going? Mike, Mike Bloom. (laughs) But so Guinevere comes in and, and you know, she plays the total hypnotized woman part going to free Arthur and then immediately going up to Lancelot and saying like, Oh, I don't love you anymore. Uh, and Lancelot, for all you know, for all the times we talk about Lancelot being skeevy, he is astute as he very easily points out. Oh yeah, you use the sands of Avalon to to hypnotize her and get her on your side. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Lancelot's taken down to the dungeons and of course to kind of clean up their mess with the two residual people left over. And this again, somehow works. I have no idea how, but they blow the sand on David and Mary Margaret and uh, it, it will see in a little bit that it turns out that they are now under his control as well. Yeah. It's like, if uh, this is a situation in need of fixing, what would be the best way to fix it? Well, if they were on our side, Oh, okay. I'll blow this, I'll blow the sand on them and they will be on our side. Yeah. Which I mean, uh, I, I, cause I loved <laughs> the, like seeing David and Mary Margaret get to do things the past two episodes. Cause we really haven't gotten that outside of the whole last season. Oh no, we, traded your life for Maleficent's child and we feel horrible about it. But like, if they're just going to be mind controlled now for the next several episodes, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. I, I you know what? I honestly, I can't see it lasting. Well, first of all, like we, we do see, uh, we do see them go back to, uh, to Regina and, and Robin and there, and it doesn't seem like they're like, there's not really a tell there in terms of them being charmed. Uh, and, and usually they're the ones doing the charming. If you can see what I did there. <laughs> um, but there's, there's not really a tell that's giving away the fact that they're charmed. They seem very authentic, but I'm guessing it won't be the rest of the, the, the half season. I'm guessing it'll be at most. Um, I say that by the end of episode six, they are no longer charmed. Oh, wow. So you're giving it like a two episode, like bump and dump. Basically. I would not be surprised if it's actually done by the end of episode five. I think, I think, I think the, the outcome of it is going to be either Regina catches on or Emma catches on and cancels it out somehow, or uh, Arthur does something, whether it's forging the sword somehow ends the charm because they, they've served their purpose or, or what, but I wouldn't even be surprised if by the end of episode five, but I'm just giving myself an extra episode. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to go over on okay. that, but this is also, you know, we got Arthur's entire origin story basically less than halfway through the season uh story arc and considering that like remember last year we got ingrid's story in like what episode eight or so like again this is season is moving right along so i wouldn't i would not be surprised as well if this whole mind control thing is done in like two episodes yeah agreed so let's let's go down to the dungeons here as Lancelot's thrown in a cell and we hear a familiar Scottish brogan. Good thing, Kurt, because I, I do remember a tweet <laughs> sent out by Kurt Clark last week that said, if we don't get more Merida on this show, I'm quitting the podcast. No, I think I said if we don't get more brave. <laughs> oh, true. All right, Kurt. Sorry. This is Kurt's last show because we did not get... Well, actually, no, they said the word brave, so you technically yes. did get more brave. Yes. You know, yeah, brave is in the other cell. And um, I don't know, she looked different to me. Well, her, uh, her hair was, I, poofier? we didn't point this out in the first episode, but like the Wiggler wig watch was definitely beeping red during that, <laughs> uh, not just the color of her hair, because it definitely was floofy enough to really look like a wig <laughs> there. Maybe it was the lighting, but it did, it seemed much more like her natural hair. Yeah, it, um, definitely had a, a different look. Um, I'm sure, you know what? Also calling it in the next two episodes, we're going to get flashbacks to how she ended up there. I mean, I think we need to. That's that's one of the big question marks that I'm left with at the end of this episode is like it's only been what, like maybe three or four days. I don't know, maybe a week since they the people landed and since everyone landed in in uh, in Camelot. Like how did you know? Mer- and last time we saw Merida, she was off to go save her brothers from that one clan, but use, you know, peace brokering and diplomatic things instead of kicking ass, which is which is what she learned from Emma. But now she's somehow in the cell. I wonder, maybe, uh, maybe Camelot was one of those clans that had her, that was warring and had her brothers kidnapped. Oh, could be, but I don't think they would have, she would have described them as a clan necessarily. Um, yeah, that's true. It, 
uh, here's the thing. I wouldn't be, we'll probably, I would say that we would get the, the brave backstory in how she ended up here in episode five, unless there's no, um, unless everything's modern day Camelot or if there's no Lancelot, we're not going to get any more Lancelot until we get a brave backstory that because they're going to be working together. Yeah. Especially the way that they set things up at the end of this episode with Merida basically going to spend the next couple episodes training gold. I feel like we need a backstory on her, whether it's a backstory, backstory, backstory. And we see probably Merida running through the woods and then Merlin comes up to her and tells her to do something. He's a tree vague before turning into a tree. (laughs) Uh, apparently that's what he does now. (laughs) Or if, um, or if we see like the time that she spent between, you know, following that wisp and winding up in the dungeon. But I feel like we have to see some sort of, fastback flash it of merida at some point yeah i i could completely see it being a little bit like how the opening of this episode was handled where there's a a three minute origin story of merida and then the rest of any, any other flashback things are basically what happened between parting ways with emma and her ending up in the dungeon and then the modern day thing is her and lancelot uh, getting out of the dungeons again, unless unless there's just so much focus on Storybrooke um, mm-hmm. uh, and and minimal focus on Camelot, then we might not get any of her. But uh, I, I think you know, it, to the extent that uh, Lancelot is going to play a role, uh, you're not going to see Lancelot play a role until you get the brave backstory. Do you think maybe Merida and uh, and Lancelot will become the uh, the Andy Dufresne and Red of <laughs> Once Upon a Time? Um, wow. Man, Lancelot called through six pile, six miles of manure to get out of the Camelot. I, I like, I like the idea. I like the idea. Um, it's, yeah. it, it, uh, uh, I, I just don't know if they're going to t- tap into, uh, tap into that for this. <laughs> so Regina is, we actually, this is like the one of like the three times we see Regina, very Regina light episode. Yeah. Uh, but she's pacing, worrying, whatever, ha- what happened to the rest of the heroes and David and Mary Margaret come in. And I mean, we're, we're sure that they're mind controlled at this point, right? Cause they're saying, Oh no, yeah. Arthur is telling the truth and Lancelot is lying. Yeah. But Arthur it, is our best friend. We need to love Arthur forever. But like I said, it, it was done very convincingly. Like it yeah. seemed very authentic. And like Regina, there was like, would have had no reason to pause and be like, are you guys okay? Like we're also, you know, we're not allowed to tell you that this is a trap <laughs> or so, you know, yeah. it's like they, they, they're not coming off as brainwashed. And so, um, but I do, I do think, you know, there, there might be, you know, it's, I, I do think Regina is going to eventually be clued in. Like I said, it's going to be Regina or Emma that gets clued in and, and, and saves them. Yeah, and probably absolutely. probably Emma because then she's going to be tempted to use her magic again to save her parents. Yeah, and maybe it'll be a case where like Emma has to take the dark magic out of the sands of Avalon, and that's how she becomes Dark Swan. So she makes a sacrifice uh, for her family to become Dark Swan. Yeah. So we we always talked about the you know the cute little making out in the meadow. Uh, let's go back to Storybrooke <laughs> in the or back forward, I guess. The only time uh, story, <laughs> back to the future. Uh, Storybrooke in the present day. Yeah, Back to the Future, very apt. <laughs> yeah, very, very apt. As uh, so, Emma is actually looking at one of those flowers that she just was remembering uh, getting some some tongue action with Hook when <laughs> Gold is. I guess he's uh, he's tied up to the door. In we're still down in that cave, I guess. And he says, like, listen, 
I, I can't be the hero. You know, you don't you don't want me. And she's like, oh, no, I have a secret weapon that is going to help, quote unquote, sharpen him up. And that weapon turns out to be Merida, who is, uh, uh, you know, that uh, is not really following the, the rules of the Geneva Convention here in terms <laughs> of the way she's tying up her prisoners. <laughs> And given recent news, I'm surprised that they're still using a Volkswagen Beetle for the uh, for the the go to vehicle in in this trope. But she is evil. Um, yeah, I, it's like, are we to believe that she kind of drove there potentially with Merida still chained up to the bug? Yeah, I don't know. So I guess uh, maybe you know, in another Meredith Meredith flashback scene that we need is like what happened when she first awoke in Storybrooke, oh, yeah. and like how did emma find i mean i'm assuming dark when emma knows where everyone is at any point in time so she very quickly found her and used her for her uh her own uses but if that's the case if she's there then lancelot should be there but we haven't seen him yet so it's very confusing as to like they said in the in episode two i think that like most of the camelotians got brought over but were there any major characters that were left out of camelot when they when they made the transition so you're talking about camelot leftovers Yes, two percent of Camelot stayed behind uh, in Camelot. Yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, gosh, to be with left, a bunch left of with a big. But it turns out that like with Arthur gone, it just becomes a poor village again. <laughs> exactly. No longer. Well, back to being broken. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I guess we're a broken king. All right, who wants to be king? Raise your hand. Yeah, go pull that sword from that stone. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, and it, again, as much as I love this episode pretty cheesy final line right kurt where he pulls it she pulls out her heart uh and finally decides to act on her promise of like she doesn't kill her but she decides to keep it to manipulate her much like gold did with hook at this time last season but she says you know you're gonna make him brave and it's like i'm sure you're gonna find a better person to make him brave than yeah, her. that's a little meta in terms of i'm gonna you have to make him brave because you're a character from a movie named brave <laughs> Yeah, because I, you know, I've seen Brave now as well. Uh, I watched it after, you know, the gaffe that I made in the first episode with the Will of the Wisp, and even then, like, yes, Merida has has definitely like, she definitely has courage in her, but I wouldn't be like, oh yes, I'm just describe her as brave. I would describe her more as like yeah. headstrong than brave. This the she, that's not like one of her remarkable qualities. I feel like that it's a little bit like you know we need to rescue these people so. You two little mice, you're going to be our rescuers. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's and you better go down under. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, it's definitely, that was like a, definitely a little on the nose. And I would say an otherwise cheesy line in a fantastic episode. Yeah, no, really, I really like this episode. Again, the only, the only, there was, there was a little bit of a stutter step when I thought we were going to be back in Neverland for an extended period of time, but I was fine with where, how much we got of that. Uh, the only stutter step for me really was, the the sands of avalon as kind of this deus ex machina to fix anything <laughs> yeah so let's we'll talk a little bit of next steps here because as uh, the next steps for at least our present day storybrook storyline is that merida is going to train gold to become a hero uh, do you like this pairing do you think it's going to be fruitful in any way it's odd isn't it i mean it's yeah, it's strange it's it's <sighs> It's like the episode, it's like the season of the Amazing Race where they paired up the random strangers and thinking that they might hit it off. Does and that I mean just, they're going to fall in love? Definitely not. Or, or Phil Kogan is going to insist they fall in love. I mean, there's better people to teach gold how to be a hero. I mean, you think it would be easier to manipulate, you know, the Charmings and Hook into helping gold become a hero than bringing in this, this random ginger to do it. Yeah. 
I mean, that's usually the plan B, right? Or yeah. Plan G is bringing the ginger. Yes, plan B is bringing the ginger. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's interesting because, and I think one of the questions I remember us having at the end of season four was, okay, you know, the, Mr. Gold has lost the power of the Dark One. Does he go back to becoming the coward Rumpelstiltskin? And maybe this is sort of lending to that theory because if he really has become a coward, then he does need to become brave and become that like shining knight that we saw in the season four finale in that alternate reality but i agree it's it's a very odd pairing it does reek very much of like the there are a few episodes in like every half season in the middle that are that are usually very like well we need to fill time so in this episode some this person's going to do this you know like in this episode anna and bell are going to meet and they're going to go on a mountain climbing adventure like that, that this definitely sounds like something like that yeah it's it doesn't give me strong hopes for the next episode but Everything I think up to this point has been strong, so I have no reason to think that we have anything to worry about. As, as I'm personally right now, I'm just as long as they keep showing Arthur manipulating people, I'll honestly be happy with this season because I think this is one of the freshest and like most bold attempts they made at, at an, uh, a villain in quite a while. I would argue since Peter Pan. Yes, yeah, uh, so it's it's really cool to see. I mean, I could speak forever about why I'm I'm loving this so far, but you know, it's it's amazing to see a guy who. I feel like the past season, year and a half has always been about like that guy is clearly the villain to the point of when they were clearly advertising the Queens of Darkness beforehand is like, these are the bad people. Uh, but to have someone that come off as a hero at first, only to be revealed two weeks later that he's the, actually gonna be the big villain, I think is a really nice touch. And it really makes the uh, the audience stay on its feet uh, with the writers kind of just writing a bunch of twists around all that. Yeah, I think and you not you you talked a little bit earlier about how this is moving at, at a pretty breakneck pace. I I wouldn't be surprised. Like I I can't see Arthur sustaining peak villain status for the rest of this half season. Like I like we're in a, we just finished episode 4. I'm guessing that he'll be dethroned by episode 8 or 9 and there's something bigger that we haven't seen yet. I would say if I'll make a bold prediction, I think that I agree. I think that they'll they'll eventually subdue Arthur and he'll become powerless. Then once they free Merlin, that Merlin becomes the big bad. And then it becomes about them all coming together to defeat Merlin in the last couple of episodes. Or does it really feel, I mean, we keep forgetting big bad dark Emma, like dark Swan do does, does the, does, does the, the, and we keep forgetting that, that Arthur has machinations in present day storybook. Um, yeah, that's true. So it's, you know, it's maybe like Arthur is defeated by like episode seven or eight, but it's really, um, you know, something that he's doing something that Emma was allowing him to do the whole time. And even though he's taken down, he's, you know, he's put the plan in motion for something bigger and worse to happen uh, that Emma's really behind. So like, even if he does get taken down by episode eight or nine, I, I, we, you've still got Dark Swan to contend with. And maybe Merlin is the force that can that can go up against her. So if you out there have any theories about where the Arthur's Big Bad might be heading next, or if you ship Merida and Mr. Gold, or if you really think that the Sands of Avalon are from the Jersey Shore, you have several ways to reach out to us. As always, you can leave a comment on postshowrecaps.com. Uh, by the way, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our Once Upon a Time only feed at postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. going to 
get us up on the charts as we're building our metaphorical Camelot, our, our castles getting taller and taller with every review that's written. So please rate review uh, if you can. And as, as always, you can reach out to us on Twitter. Kurt, how can people find you on Twitter? I am at Kurt Clark with two C's on Twitter. And I am at a Mike Bloom type. And please stay tuned to all the post-show recaps for the uh, coverage going on right now. I think Josh Wiggler said at one point we have nine shows being covered right now. We're really at a fever pitch between The Leftovers, Fargo just premiered. Uh, we have uh, a, a new podcast about American Horror Story with Josh and a special guest who I won't spoil uh, just because it's a, it's amazingly fun. Uh, just started as well, as well as Seinfeld, SNL, most shows recapped is still going on. So really... You know, fall just like this season on Once Upon a Time, Fall TV has really been building to a fever pitch. So please subscribe if you haven't already to our main feed and check out all the great content going on. Uh, That being said, we are hopefully part of that great content for you, and we will be back with hopefully great content next week to talk about the more about the Merida Gold pairing and to see what other uh, what other situations may arise in both Camelot and Storybrooke. To finish it off, as always, Kurt Clark, we need a hashtag for people who have made it all the way to the end of this podcast. Before I get to that, would the Merida Gold pairing be Marigold? <laughs> I love that, but uh, but let, let's 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 sit on that. Let's see how that goes. But because I, I was convinced that the the hashtag for this episode would be "It's only a model," but I think we might have a late contender and bring in the ginger. Yes, I I think so. And again, we had to bring in a ginger to get a hashtag. So yeah. hashtag bring in the ginger. Uh, shout out to any redhead listeners out there. We love you all every one of you you're you're a great facet to society so again bring in the ginger if you made it all the way to the end thank you guys as always for listening let us know your feedback we're always game for it and remember uh make sure you use protection when you're uh, riding your horse take care everyone bye-bye